Welcome to the Good Money Habits podcast, where we marry financial literacy with tips from the experts on how to develop good money habits. Knowing what your options are when it comes to your finances is one thing, how to change your habits and translate the knowledge into action and results is quite another. If this is a new focus for you, we suggest you start with the Foundation Series episodes. Throughout this podcast series, we will meet and interview experts from across the finance field, where they will share their insights and tips for success. We are all about helping people gain financial stability to live a better life. This podcast is brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. It is important to understand that today's episode is of a general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and may not be appropriate for you. This is Julia Shortinghouse, and thanks for listening in to today's podcast. Throughout this podcast series, we've been exploring different ways of investing from low cost, passive robo-advice solutions, and most recently we delved into the world of funds management with Magellan. We looked at what fund managers actually do and how they seek to add value. So today we want to explore yet another concept which involves portfolio construction, and to bring it to life, we're going to bring in an expert in their field. Joining me in the studio to help me interview our expert today is Trish Prince. So Trish, welcome back to the hot seat, but on the other side today. Yeah, nice to be joining you today, Jules. Um, Trish, I might actually hand over to you to introduce today's expert. Okay, so when Jules and I last did the podcast on estate planning, we talked about other ways we can inform people. Importantly, we both have a passion to help as many people as possible, which is why I was happy to be involved today to um, keep educating people. Without giving specific personal advice, we plan today to cover off some of the more meaty topics that we come across as financial planners. To talk with some substance on these issues, I'd like to introduce David Dix, who I've had the pleasure of collaborating with for some of my clients. I'll probably slip and call him Dixie, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but David's knowledge and confidence in explaining some of the concepts we wanted to talk about today made him an obvious expert to join the conversation. Um, Sorry. Uh, David's currently head of the client investment services at Atrium Investment Management. He has extensive experience in the industry. He has developed a range of market-leading investment solutions for the institutional and retail marketplace in Australia and overseas over the last 22 years. David, welcome to Good Money Habits with Jules and I. Hi, Trish, and hi, Jules. Thanks for having me today. Hi, David. Great to have you. Okay, David, perhaps you can share with us what it is you do. Okay, well, my role, um, as you mentioned, as Head of Client Investment Services is really to act as the conduit between our investment team and our investment capability and our clients. And and this is really about taking the information, which can sometimes be complex around investment markets and portfolios, and and communicate this with clients. So basically, it's to put things into a language that hopefully the client will understand, and it's also uh, to make us really an easy organisation to deal with and being responsive to client requests with a strong client focus. Okay, so what inspired you to become an investment manager? Well, to be honest, I I probably didn't really know what I wanted to do out of university, which is not uncommon, I'm sure. Um, But the the turning point for me was when I went to work in London in in 1996 and stepping onto the, the world's largest trading floor in London at Deutsche Bank um, and experiencing what this you know, amazing world of investments had to offer um, around financial products and financial institutions. It was a real eye-opener for me and, and seemed like an exciting place to pursue a career. 
I can relate to that, David. I remember my first uh, day on the job as a stockbroker in the mid-90s and I remember walking on the the broking floor and it looked like a helicopter had flown in and just dropped a tonne of paper in the room and just the energy and everything going on was unbelievable. Um, So, um, David, to get things started, um, do you mind explaining to the listeners some of the foundational concepts around portfolio construction? For example, um, with our clients, the starting point for us would generally be to assess a client's tolerance for risk and then consider, you know, what's an appropriate mix of growth versus defensive assets? And can you explain what they are? Yeah, sure. So portfolio construction is, is essentially the art of putting together a portfolio which balances the objectives of the client with the opportunities that exist uh, in the market or marketplace. So it's part return management and it's part risk management. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when... Um, Down the test of time. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, and so as a growth investor, a growth investor might typically have 70 to 80% um, in growth investments and then a conservative investor, for example, might have about 20 to 30. Is that right? Yeah, generally speaking, and they can all differ in, in terms of the, the style or the type of investment. But but yeah, that's exactly right. A growth investor would have somewhere in between, let's say, 65 and 80% of their assets in, in growth-orientated investments. And then I guess depending on the client's risk profile, that will then determine what mix of growth versus defensive assets that they'll end up with. Yeah, pr- precisely. Um, and so there's a lot of science that goes, goes into this, but um, ultimately... Um, you know, clients are put into various uh, risk profiles uh, depending on their tolerance for how much risk they're, they're willing to take. And I guess along those lines, when investing, it's obviously important to remember that old adage of not having all of your eggs in one basket. So, David, can you explain what the different asset classes are? Uh, no problem. So, an asset class is, is a type of investment. So, shares or, or equities, as we may refer to them, are an asset class. Uh, bonds are an asset class, uh, so government bonds or corporate bonds. Property is an asset class. Each has its own fundamental aspects which drive return and risk. And we forecast returns for each asset class uh, and also forecast risk. And this helps us to construct a portfolio which is well diversified. Okay, so taking that, I guess, another level further, can you explain to listeners what strategic asset allocation is? Okay, so, so remember the conversation around the growth and defensive mix, first of all. So, so back in the 1950s and 60s, some, some very smart people out of the US came up with an approach with, without getting too technical, basically said that the more diversification you have, the better or more efficient the portfolio becomes. And it's what they referred to as the efficient frontier. So I the industry I remember drawing took... those charts, actually, David, mm. in our studies, yeah. taking me back. No. Exactly. Um, so, so we all remember those in, in perhaps our early days of, um, of um, you know, university and uh, and um, business. But um, the industry took this approach and, and said, right, well, we can develop a portfolio which has an allocation to a range of different asset classes, and and we'll invest in those assets in in a set or strategic way. And over time, the portfolio should generate a certain return and a certain level of risk. So strategic asset allocation, or SAA as I might refer to it, is somewhat a set and forget approach. It basically says that as long as you invest over the, over a period of time, you should get a certain return outcome. However, there are questions around this approach now given the, the global financial crisis and the more recent COVID downturn. 
where, where many of these portfolios felt the full brunt of falls and, and largely because they were set to get. So they don't move their asset allocation around, even if there's pending danger ahead. And I think that's a really important point um, in relation to that sort of fixed strategic asset allocation. So what other types of asset allocation models are used in the industry then when considering portfolio construction? Okay, so it really comes down to how much you want to move your asset allocation around. And, and as mentioned, SAA doesn't move much at all. Um, there are approaches, we refer to them as dynamic asset allocation or DAA, which provide the investment manager with the ability to move the asset mix around based on their views of, of the potential returns or risk across different asset classes. So this style of investing is, is gaining traction more recently because it considers where you are in the investment cycle. So if things are overvalued, you try to avoid them. And if things are cheap, well, you want more of them in your portfolio. Hey, Dixie, when we first met, you explained to me a different way of considering the costs of diversification. Help me understand what an investor might end up with when investing. That is, when a fund manager is putting together a portfolio, I now view it and explain it to my clients like building blocks. Without a visual, if we could all just imagine a tower of Lego, each different type of asset or investment is a different block. You explained to me how different blocks um, and different types of investments that a fund manager might include for a different reason or an outcome. So there are differences and obviously depending on what's included in a portfolio, the fees vary. So logic suggests if you pay more for active management with dynamic asset allocation over a set and forget like SSA, um, and fund managers include more complex investments, you expect a better return. In reality, is this generally the case? And if not, why not? Okay, well, um, maybe, maybe if we stay on the Lego analogy, uh, first of all, because that's a, that's a great way to put it. Um, think about building a Lego house and, and you have a choice for your house. You can use all of the normal blocks and I'm sure they'll build a great Lego house. But what about if you, you needed that house to be protected from falling apart? And let's just say your livelihood depended on it. So wouldn't you go out of your way to find some Lego brackets or extra layers of strength to stabilise and protect that, that Lego house? It's a little bit like this with investments. You can have that traditional SAA portfolio, which does a great job in, in most circumstances in, and, and generally speaking is very cost effective. But perhaps it's a little vulnerable to some of those one in 100 year events or shocks that unfortunately tend to happen every 10 years, uh, as we've seen more recently. So um, with, with many of these traditional funds, they're set up for this long-term growth. And you might hear, hear some of the advertising around long-term growth, um, but, but some of them may actually be quite vulnerable over uh, some of these stress events. So um, price is important, you know, and it's definitely important. It's becoming more important across the industry. You know, people are, are very cost aware, but um, I guess the point we want to make is so is diversification. And in fact, many many people focus on the price without considering the multiples of this in terms of tens of thousands of dollars that might, might be protected by having the right portfolio approach. So it's that old adage of sometimes you get what you pay for. All right. Okay. That makes sense. So staying on my Lego block analogy, because I, I actually really like that, mm-hmm. um, can you explain why adding different blocks is beneficial or say how atrium and some other fund managers include this in their approach and why it's worth considering. Okay. So this um, partly goes back to our conversation on diversification and not being locked into a certain asset mix. So as investment managers, we want uh, all of the different blocks at our disposal uh, to be able to develop the house. So imagine only having the one-by-one 
square block. What if you wanted the two by one, which will give you a, a better and stronger base? And, and what about the roof? How are you going to make this with the one by one block? It's, it's going to be pretty difficult. And it's the same with investments. Give me and, and give our team a wide degree of choice in, in what we can invest in and, and when that we can be flexible and choose the right investments for the client at that certain point in the investment cycle. So seems seems logical, right? But you'd be surprised how many investors came out of the, the global financial crisis and asked their advisor or their fund manager, why didn't you protect my portfolio? Couldn't you see this credit crisis coming? And this is really the problem because the investment manager operates to that strategic long-term set-and-forget approach, which locks them into a certain type of asset mix. I'm really liking this um, Lego block analogy as well. I think I'm going to be dreaming about Lego <laughs> houses tonight. Um, now, earlier on in the podcast series, David, we've spoken um, on numerous occasions about what I consider to be the three fundamentals of investing, being inflation, diversification and compound interest. Can you talk us through how you address these elements? Yeah, well, look, these are really you know fundamental to wealth creation and wealth preservation. They're, they're so important. Let's just go through them. So firstly, inflation. Um, there are many investments that actually benefit from inflation. So um, inflation is, is measured by you know CPI, Consumer Price Index. It's the, the price of our goods and services. Um, and so um, those types of investments that might benefit from inflation include property. Um, so inflation can be your friend. Um, we all like our, our houses to go up in value. On the flip side, inflation can also tend to lead to higher interest rates, which can be a detractor for some investments like bonds. So it's important that you understand the potential for changes to inflation and how to adjust your portfolio to manage this change. With the second one, diversification, this is so fundamental to sound in investment management, but unfortunately, you know, as, with, all, with all these things, there's diversification and there's diversification. So. Think of a portfolio which has lots of different investments, but they're all tending to follow each other uh, and perhaps they're following the same direction of, say, shares or equity. So if shares do well, then these assets do well. If shares do poorly, they tend to do poorly. So you can have a diversified portfolio, which is diversified by name, but not really diversified by risk. So our preference is to diversify by risk. It's our starting point. Um, bringing some assets into the portfolio, which can actually do well when shares are not performing. And, and lastly, um, with these elements, compound interest. Some refer to this or has been referred to as the eighth wonder of the world. Um, basically, it's saying that when you have $100 and you generate a return of 10% over the year, the next year you have $110 and again, growing at 10%, your second year balance is, is not 110 or 120, but 121 so it's that, that concept of, um, of continuing to compound wealth over time. It really goes to the heart of um, an investment approach, which is not about losing capital when markets fall, um, but it's about building compounding wealth over time when, our, when assets rise. And such an important concept and one that I think is, you know, any uh, podcast series that we've done that's related to investing has always brought in compound interest or compounding, which uh, I'm sad to say is my favourite thing in the world, but I digress. Um, David, I understand that you yep. seek to bring together different managers when building a portfolio. What are the key things you look for when selecting a manager to add? Well, it's about due diligence, as we call it. I mean, uh, when you go and buy a house, you, you do your homework to make sure it's the right price. And, and the same thing when we're looking for an investment manager that we want to ensure is, is the right manager for our portfolio. So think of the five Ps, so people, philosophy, process, portfolio construction, and performance. 
many people start with performance as an obvious thing, but um, as we know, past performance is no guide to future performance. So performance is really an outcome of having experienced individuals with a sound investment process that's tested over extended periods to ensure it's not just going to benefit in a particular market environment. So take, for example, a manager that's built a position in a, in a stock that's become quite uh, popular recently, and that's Afterpay. So this is a stock that's increased in value by something like 800%. Um, so the manager may have, may have built a position in Afterpay in their portfolio and let it run. So now it's a, a much larger weight in their portfolio as it's gained in value. They would have benefited from, from this performance. Um, and clients would obviously start to see this, but now they're potentially vulnerable to larger falls in the stock. So a client investing based on performance alone would possibly or even probably be walking into a trap given that they missed the upside but are now vulnerable to the downside. So it's this type of example that we, we look forward to ensure managers thinking about all aspects of portfolio management. Yeah, and once again, having an eye on that downside risk, which is not going to be taken into account if somebody has a passive approach, for example. Um, so, in your in, yeah, so in your opinion, then, how important is it that fund managers are held to account and stay true to label? Okay, yeah, I got that. So um, it's very fundamental. We've had situations where we've invested in managers based on a certain style of um, of. Uh, of asset management. So the goal might be, for example, investing in quality assets. And we then find that they've moved to chasing a certain um, type of asset, like let's say a Chinese coal asset. And we're sitting there saying, well, how's this in line with your philosophy and approach around sustainable earnings that are non-cyclical? It's really important that they do remain true to label and and, um, stay their course with this type of uh, approach. Um, Doesn't mean that they have to invest in this uh, certain style of company, all the time, but we need to ensure that they, they're not just changing their approach due to underperformance. That, to us, is an instant termination in our view. Okay, so changing tack slightly, Dixie, what are your views on some of the boxes within our industry where funds can be labelled as balanced or growth, but the average person or, or people don't really know what they're exposed to? Okay, so I think this goes back to my earlier point around the surprises that people had during the global financial crisis. Um, and, and more should be done in the industry as, as this podcast is um, is hopefully doing to educate clients that their portfolio is vulnerable to certain events. So they might not actually mind that, but at least they're aware. And we're trying to uh, do, do our best to educate around risk. That is, risk matters. It's a fundamental thing that people forget and, and really ties in all of those aspects around diversification, compound interest and capital preservation. So remember, if you lose 50% of your money or your portfolio, then you need 100% return to get back to where you started from. So not losing the 50% in the first place, in our view, makes it that much easier to generate long-term sustainable returns. Yeah. Okay. So have you come across risky strategies that concerned you where investors didn't really know what they were exposed to? I have. Um I mean, one that's very close to home, We uh, a little bit of a, a story. We have uh, or, uh, have a family friend with a child and that, mat- that child is mature age, um, but they are, unfortunately, or, or they live with autism. So um, a member of the community, but unfortunately was led down a path of investing in derivatives. Um, and it's what we call a buy right strategy. So without going into the, the um, all the ifs, buts and maybes around that strategy, 
uh, I was asked to look at the portfolio by the parents of this young man um, to ensure it was safe or at least to understand it a bit, a bit better as they were concerned that there were mounting losses and, and the fact that the, the advisor was asking for more money, so more contributions to the portfolio um, to potentially make back what they had lost in the first place. Um, so I think overall there may have been something like $130,000 of losses and and you know, um, whilst we looked at the portfolio and, and uh, you know, we're scratching our head, head I, I, you know, I called upon a friend who's a, a derivatives trader and has done so for many years and, and who understands these strategies well. Um, and he found it almost impossible to understand why so many trades were being undertaken. Um, just pages and pages and pages of, of, uh, of uh, trades that have been put through. And, and in the end, the client, uh, I guess, under direction, pulled the money uh, out, um, or at least what was left, and um, and they took legal action. And, and I'm pleased to say that the individual was subsequently banned for five years from providing financial advice, and, and the client was fully recompensed. So this is a, a tough lesson um, on, on those risky, risky strategies, but thankfully a positive outcome. Yeah, really tough lesson, and it's you know equally concerning and disappointing, quite frankly, to hear that. But um, mm. unfortunately, we've all come across stories like this in the media. So, do you have any tips to help people avoid that kind of situation? Well, I think simple can sometimes be a friend. So, if it sounds too good to be true, um, it it often is. Uh, there's no free lunch in investing, and it takes you know many years of blood, sweat, and tears to know how markets and and assets operate. So um, always beware of the friend at the barbecue, and we've probably all seen them, mm-hmm. saying that they've just doubled their money on a, on a certain asset or stock. Um, generally, there'll, there'll probably be a bunch of losses uh, on, on other stocks where you know they've, they've blown their investment, so, and they may not tell you about those. So um, look, keep it simple, I would say, is probably um, the, you know, the, the advice there. Yeah, people never talk about their losses. It's so true. Human nature. So in your opinion, how do people actually go about finding the right financial planner? So one that will take into account their preferences and guide them in selecting appropriate solutions. Yes, I work um, closely with a lot of excellent financial advisors. Um, Thank you. you. Two on the the call today. (laughs) Um, Not that he's biased. Not that I'm biased and not, not that I'm plugging you both, but um, the the things that I would like to know personally is, um, you know, obviously the level of experience, are they licensed um, in terms of the, the investments? I mean, my view would be good advisors have a sound investment philosophy and, and stick to this throughout the cycle um, and they allow the investments to perform as they should over time, over that time period. Um, it's the combination of their skill of implementing strategic advice like estate planning or, or retirement planning and combining this with, with a sound portfolio construction approach, um, which which brings together, I think, good advice when it comes to investing. Yeah, that all sounds really sensible. And in terms of sharing some of your tips, David, how can people avoid some of the common investment mistakes we tend to see, such as chasing last year's winners or FOMO, fear of missing out, that kind of thing? Mm. Yeah, I think uh, having a discipline um, in investing and, and, and thinking about the way that you can compound your wealth. So so that's really the fastest wealth, way to wealth creation. Um, that's why superannuation is such a great scheme. It's a, a forced compounding or a compound interest approach, if you will. Um, there's a great example my colleagues often use where they, they give the example of two investments. So you know, one generating 20% return and, and one generating 10% return. Which one would you go for? Now, I can tell you that the, I'll then tell you, sorry, that the 20% investment is 
an Afghan government bond and mm-hmm. the, the other area is an Australian government bond. Now, which one would you choose? So uh, I think a very simple um, and straightforward example that, you know, risk matters. You need to understand what risk you're taking to achieve the return that's being put up in front of you. Yeah, really good point. So, look, my takeouts from listening to you today would be, number one, know what you're investing in, two, understand what you're paying for, and three, work with a competent financial planner who's actually skilled at partnering with and identifying investment solutions that should include best-of-breed managers to achieve your goals. Yeah, that's a great summary, Trish. And, and David and Trish, thank you so much for sharing your time today. No doubt by now it's, it's very obvious that there's a lot to consider and to take in when considering investing your hard-earned money. So I hope you found today's podcast both educational and helpful. Before we sign off, David, any final comments or information you feel would be valuable to share? Look, um, thanks for having me here today. It's been a really enjoyable experience. Um, my comment would be seek advice and, and go with what's sensible, uh, not necessarily the cheapest. So um, thanks again for, for having me. Perfectly said. And thank you, Trish, for your time again on the call. No worries. And thanks, Dixie and Jules. See you all next time. That was another episode of Good Money Habits brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. A reminder that this episode was general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and therefore may not be appropriate for you. It is recommended that you seek professional advice before making any significant financial decisions. If you want to find out more, this podcast series is available on Apple Podcasts or head to www.lighthousecapital.com.au.